Hello beautiful people. A warm welcome to season 2 of Photo Country. In this new season I want to try out a bunch of new things like video versions of my podcast interviews. In fact, you can get the video version on YouTube right now. Also I'd like to interview different types of artists, photographers, painters, etc. So, it will not just be solely focused on photographers alone. We kick off this new season with a chat with Just Bhavathai. a wellington based film photographer who captures life as it happens every frame trying to tell a story i can't wait for you to listen to this interview so without further ado here is just bavatai so let's start with uh, an introduction just tell us something about you and how did you start in this field yeah so i am based in wellington and i largely grew up here i have lived overseas a little bit in both the states and in the uk and i think like the last time i lived in the uk was i moved over there in sort of late um, mid to late 2014 and i grew up always drawing and painting and all of that kind of stuff and i realized that that wasn't massively transportable so I didn't know how much space I was going to have in London which it is it transpired wasn't a whole heap so I kind of set out to explore photography which started off with just my phone I am a bit of a geek like lots of photographers are we we love our our tech and the gear <laughs> and I I didn't want to invest in gear if I wasn't confident that I was really into it and was going to use it so I set a task for myself where I had to do something creative photography wise with my phone every day for at least a year and I moved to London I didn't really know I knew a few people but not very many and I kind of used Instagram I guess as a way to to meet people that were also into photography and that was how I made a lot of friends and it was also how I really like learned to use a camera when I eventually invested in one so that was me I kind of started out I guess in London it's easy you're there as a visitor and kind of everything is fascinating and and, and interesting so just anything that that took my eye and then a bit of more sort of I guess architecture stuff And then I ended up hanging out with a, a group of of people and we were all really into street photography and which obviously London really lends itself to that. We'll just go out basically every day after work <laughs> and every weekend so we'd walk miles and miles and just shoot street. And so uh, and that was with a crew of people a guy called Ed Robertson, another guy called Toby Ziff, that both very accomplished photographers. I I just learned by doing and yeah shooting every day. Brisson has a quote which is that you know your your first 10,000 photographs will be your worst. And so there's no better way to hit your first 10,000 photographs than by by shooting every day I guess. So yeah, that's right. how I how I came to be a photographer. <laughs> Why slice of life kind of photography? Why did that interest you so much? I think When I came back to New Zealand in 2016, I found street really hard to shoot here, and I still love shooting street, but I think, you know, there isn't the density of population and and I'd always kind of seen myself primarily as a documentary photographer rather than a street photographer anyway. So some of the work that I did while I was in London was, you know, documenting you know, people's lives and 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 place and and 
environments that were comfortable to them and natural to them. And I've always been drawn to that. I think it's fascinating to watch people work and just exist and be. And so those were the things that that drew me. I'm not a full-time photographer and I was tossing up whether or not I wanted to explore doing that as a as a full-time thing or if I wanted to keep it to myself basically so that I couldn't indulge my personal projects and and through that I did a bit of wedding photography and this my style for doing that's very documentary style so I kind of went down that path and then realized I didn't if, if weddings was my inroads to making money doing this I it wasn't it didn't light my fire enough that I would want to do it all the time. I guess the slice of life stuff is because it's accessible, but also because I see kind of a challenge in taking something ordinary and and finding beauty in it or making something out of it that, that appeals to me. And so usually I'm most drawn drawn by light and by by things that have interesting juxtapositions or, or contrasts. And and yeah, making something something out of those, I guess, is sort of how I got to that point. And yeah primarily just because it is accessible. I, When I was shooting street, I got, it's quite interesting because I would be shooting street with lots of male friends and we'd typically be sort of dispersed but in a similar kind of area and all doing the same kind of thing. And typically I would be the one that would get confronted. <laughs> and, and in London, it's quite clear, like you know what your rights are, but in New Zealand, you, you have some rights, but I want to be sensitive to that. And I, I don't want to be, engaging in conflict with people who don't want their pictures taken like that isn't really a vibe I'm going for and so as much as I like to capture those kind of environment like situations I guess I I don't want the conflict that goes with it and the the slice of life situational stuff involves no conflict so (laughs) I guess in some ways also there's this easiness do it that I enjoy there's nothing kind of there's no barriers nothing's getting in the way of it I don't have to to interact with people in a negative sense in order to make something something good so yeah I guess that's part of it as well if I'm honest (laughs) (laughs) so it took the easy way out no people (laughs) I'll just get away from it (laughs) yeah I, I do love capturing people and I and but I like I like to do it with with permission and 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 with with their blessing and I think yeah in London people are just oblivious and they're really unperturbed like I, people would often find themselves in my street photography on Instagram and they would be like hey that's me <laughs> and be really it would be a really positive thing and people would feel flattered by it and feel like it was cool and I guess in in the midst of the, the volume of people that are there there's still some anonymity but I think New Zealanders are very, very conscious of their privacy and of, of their personal space and all of that kind of thing. And I just think it, it comes from from living in a space where we, we have the luxury of a lot more space. Um, right. And so, yeah, it, it's just it's just a completely different thing. But I mean, like a lot of my slice of life stuff still involves like human inter- interaction with environment and, and the what we leave as the traces of ourselves in, in, in a space and yeah, I guess I enjoy that that juxtaposition of our impact in some way on on the spaces that we live in. Yeah, as people. Right. Do you do photography for a living, or is it just a, like a like a serious hobby? Yeah, I guess it's more of a serious hobby. I have done you know shot weddings professionally. I've done some commercial work, and and now I guess I I have a number of personal projects that I sort of pursue. But but I'm kind of 
I've decided to really step back from the wedding thing. I think that the market's really oversaturated. And there's people out there making absolutely awesome work. And because it's not where my number one passion is as far as photography is concerned, I kind of, I, I just am happy to leave that to other people. And without the connections here, like it was very easy for me to build connections in, in London. I had an agency that I worked with and I didn't even have a portfolio like Instagram was basically my portfolio but it was very very easy to to just position myself as as largely a documentary focused photographer and to get people you know interested in my work and wanting to to work with me whereas here it's been a bit of a a slow slow burn I'd say it's sort of I, I feel like I'm coming into my own now in terms of that change the shift in style I think when I first came here I felt like really the only options were you know shooting landscape stuff and and doing commercial work is I think the best way to to get into that is to to build a name doing what you really care about and and finding finding your niche and then letting people come to you anyway because if you're not formally trained and you don't have those connections in the industry already it's very very hard to to break into and most photographers in New Zealand the, the successful ones are very diverse in the amount of work that they do they, they wouldn't position themselves as necessarily as one one specific kind of photographer because it's very hard to do that here and make enough money to live so most of them shoot the, the full gambit so so yeah and I mean I like I'm not motivated by money I guess I just want to make cool stuff stuff that appeals to me and I yeah like I'm more more driven by that than than the rest of it so I'm quite comfortable with with not being a full-time photographer <laughs> right so you don't view it as a a business or a source of revenue, right? No, no, no. Right. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Actually, that gives you the freedom to do what you want. <laughs> absolutely. Excuse the cat. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I like, I like that. I like not having the constraint or the control of someone else's vision. I think my experience working with commercial clients was that it was quite a bit like it was, it was kind of easy in a way because they were hiring you based off, off what your work looked like and they kind of knew what you were, they, they were getting into. But when you're shooting someone's wedding, it's a very different thing often. You know, they're not, they're not professional models. They're not used to being in front of the camera um, as most of us aren't. And so they don't necessarily have a strong vision as the client for what they want. You, they're not coming at you with, with a mood board unless they're super organized, which brides like that tend to be not my jam. And because I wasn't doing it full time, I could be a bit more selective. But but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed shooting the weddings that I have shot. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a huge amount of work for, um, yeah, for, for the return and, and yeah, the admin side of it really like... It doesn't doesn't float my boat at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that because yeah, that's one reason I didn't kind of shift into commercial stuff is I really wanted this to be my hobby and yeah. explore my creative vision and what I can do with it yeah. and how far I can go with it rather than making it a business. And once it becomes a business, then it's a whole different uh, ball game <laughs> oh completely I think it really does it really does change it and and I mean it, it brings into question pretty quickly whether or not you really love it and can love it in that in that state because I think yeah it just change changes the focus coming back to your co of photography I see that in your profile you said you are a primarily a film 
photographer yeah. with a 35 mm kind of equipment why is that can you uh, talk us through that um i think 35 mm is very like it's accessible i i think it's it's kind of a it's a great place to start when getting in into film because i mean you have you know maybe 36 frames or 24 depending on on what you're shooting and so there's lots of room to play around there you know you're you're paying the same amount to to get a a 10 shot or 12 shot roll of 120 negs developed <laughs> as you are to get 35 shots out of a 35 mil but i think too like there's just so many more cameras out there and i started shooting 35 mil with an, an olympus om2n which i picked up when i was in london off ebay for about 70 pounds and and it was just translated really easily from like i'm digital wise i shoot canon not because i have any real allegiance to them the the ui for me just works the the workflow makes sense in my brain so it's <laughs> what's easiest and that you know been translated pretty easily one to the other i like film because i feel like it's forced me to slow down you know when you're shooting digital you're just firing off shot after shot and you end up with a lot of frames and if we go back to my point about hating admin admin i you know that's a lot of it's a lot of work to go through like you know a thousand frames where you know every sort of 25 of them are roughly the same and you're like well which one's better and then you've got an argument about that whereas when you're shooting film you know you're looking through through the viewfinder and you think i feel like for me it makes me a lot more deliberate and a lot more considered because of that limitation and i I have always liked constraints. I think, you know, even when I started photography doing just mobile, the constraint of that was fun and and added to the experience for me. So, yeah, I like the discipline that it gives me and and I I'm I'm pretty keen like I've got a Yashica Mat 124G. So, I'm starting to get sort of into that medium format side of things. I'm really keen to to pick up another medium format uh camera and I'm sort of tossing up at the at the moment what that might be the the camera i primarily use now is a Leica M6 and i like the rangefinder it works for me so um like i love the feel of it it's a good size i'm pretty small so a lot of medium format cameras are a little bit intimidating in terms of the portability and um most of the time i am shooting my work i'm out walking and on foot and so you know it's kind of I get enough out of 35 for the most part that it it suits most of most of what I'm doing but I would I would like to start working with bigger nigs I mean when you go through your work because it's analog it's got a different feel to it right in terms mm. of the colors and tones and stuff like that yeah and and somebody also said to me like the range finder camera it's different from the normal viewfinder because when you're shooting half your face is visible yeah so when you're actually shooting people you're not actually hiding behind a camera yeah. so one part of you is looking at the person yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah and it, i think that's the thing that i like about this form as well you know it, it there's something that can be a little a little more discreet about it but also it's just way less intimidating for the subject i think we 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 did a bit of a test when we were in london and even covering like the the big canon logo like i had a 6d that i shot on when i was there before that a 70d and even covering the canon logo on the front even though they're fairly hefty cameras made a massive difference to how subject received the the situation and 
which is very interesting. <laughs> but it ultimately is this huge black thing with with sometimes uh, a really large large lens on it. My favorite lenses to shoot were always like 50 or the Nifty 50, which is an awesome lens and so affordable and probably the most discreet of options besides a 40 mil pancake lens and and then the 35 mil. Um, but you know they're they're big intimidating machines that you're throwing in front of your face and and it is something I don't know doesn't doesn't feel as friendly as <laughs> as yeah the, the range finder form factor that's for sure so when you moved from your phone to your your camera how was that shift like the the reason I'm asking is nine out of ten people the phone is the only camera <laughs> that they'll know in their entire life yeah so it was interesting. I think I liked about mobile mobile photography having 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 the, the the grid line. I think that that helps massively with thinking about composition and positioning a subject in an image and looking at leading lines and having that that guide in terms of yeah, how you're going to frame it up. I think that I found that challenging and initially it, it probably didn't translate exactly as I as I wished I also was shooting a 50 mil lens initially on a on a crop sensor and so you know it's cropping even even more and and so you really are getting a lot of intimacy in your shots and that real closeness which I wasn't wasn't the kind of thing I was shooting when I was shooting mobile so it, it really did did change my style at least for a period of time I think yeah it, it was it was challenging challenging but challenging in a good way it felt like it felt like a step up and I already knew at that point that it was something that I was passionate about and, and wanted to pursue and I think if you if you give yourself the constraint of mobile for long enough and you do everything you can and you push that to its limit and it, fr- it starts to frustrate you what a DSLR or a camera actually opens up for you is massive in terms of possibility and having I just went straight to shooting full manual <laughs> lots of people lots of people go to like aperture priority or shutter priority I just found those instantly frustrating because I wanted to have a lot more control over what I could produce having gone from something where I besides the framing I had very little control over what the camera was doing it did all the work it was nice to go into a situation where I could have a vision for an image and and control exactly what I got in the back of the camera so yeah that was cool right okay so in terms of influences so do you look up to other photographers you follow and who are your inspirations I would say that there are a number I love Fred Herzog's work I really love Stephen Shaw I love Vivian Meyer's work closer to home I would say that Emily Rafferty you probably know who she is she shoots beautiful stuff from film Vanessa Green Tim D those guys are all doing incredible stuff in terms of you know documentary photography in, in New Zealand particularly with, with the focus on film but yeah I would say that there are a few a few a few photographers chicks like Rosie Matheson she's done a big documentary project called boys it's a magazine primarily in the uk but spread all over the place some shots from hawaii and states other parts of the states and so any any anybody doing that kind of work incredible like find it really really inspirational yeah i guess those would be would be the main people that i would look at their work and draw on that i think Anne's wester is incredible as far as stuff she's done in, in new zealand and and the legacy that she has created in her work absolutely beautiful images and I think that that kind of work is 
something I'm um, very, very drawn to and, and fascinated by. So a- any interesting projects that you're working on? I'm doing a project at the moment, which you might have gathered from my feed. Some of it, I'm documenting A-frames across New Zealand, just as I come across them. Some of them I've sort of sussed out and so I have plans to go and photograph specifically and others are just ones that I've stumbled across as I've been traveling around. I really love the like brutalist architecture. So I also have a bit of a a project on the go around that side of things and then I think beyond that like I'm doing a bit of a project documenting the area that I'm currently living in and just yeah but I'd say that the A-frame one's probably the biggest one that I have on the go and then most of the other work that I do is my family and my sort of everyday everyday life the the A-frame one I eventually sort of want to make a coffee table book book with that at some point but yeah those, those would be the main ones I have on the go at the moment I think. Right. So you've traveled around a lot of places. Do you have any favorite locations that you like to shoot? Oh, that's a really good question. I think I like I like small towns <laughs> pretty much anywhere. Anything that feels kind of earthy or a bit I like the quaintness of it and the uh, the just the nostalgia, I guess, of of small town New Zealand so I'm always pretty amped when I go somewhere that's that's on the smaller side and is isn't too touristy which yeah I think I'm most drawn to those kind of places that aren't necessarily overshot and yeah so I went to the I went to the east coast in the summer and I'm really keen to get back there and document more of the east coast that that's sort of not a project I mentioned but it's something that I I'll probably that's got you know, wider family significance. And so I'm really keen to, just for the sake of that, um, document as much of that area before it changes because it's still really, really untouched in a lot of places. And something really cool about that, that uninterrupted, ungentrified life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tim D was talking about it in his, when I interviewed him about the way he documented Ponsonby. And he's been documenting uh, my uh, neighbourhood, Avondale, same yeah. thing is happening, you know, it's house prices have crossed a million dollars. Yeah, it's insane, <laughs> isn't it? Like, actually insane. And it does change things. I know when I was living in London, I documented Brixton quite a bit, which is pretty controversial as someone who's Pakeha to do that, because particularly at the time that I was doing it, so the, the gentrification was becoming really really apparent and it was really grating on the community which is understandable because part of the reason that I wanted to document it was for all of the beautiful culture that exists in that space but you could feel um, the tension in the community because it was being it was being pushed aside to make way for lots of young you know middle class people because it was where they could afford to buy houses and so it's really sad ultimately because you know people have to live somewhere and the things that make these places beautiful are the, you know, the way that they've organically come about in the first place by this, you know, mixing of, of cultures and people bringing, bringing their own flavor and tradition to things and, and making, making the space their own and gentrification, you know, has a massive, massive impact on that, that, um, yeah, seems to be the way of the world right now with, as you say, house prices, but it really, it really is a shame what's being lost. Right. Um, right. Process. Yeah, so one of the things that I point out during my photo walks through Avondale is the 
because there's a lot of Pacific Islanders have their shops. Yep. And they're really bright and colorful. Yeah. But beautiful. one thing that jumps out for me are the hand painted signboards. Yeah. Yeah. And the minute it gets gentrified, you'll get all it's all digital yeah. <laughs> gray boxes of yeah. shops, cookie cutter shops that will come. Yeah. Which yeah. is unfortunate and I know it's gonna happen at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah, and it really is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and it's great that people like Tim D and yourself are documenting those uh, kind of things because yeah. at least you know it, it you're capturing it for posterity. It's like hey, yeah. this is how it used to look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I think is, you know, that's the stuff that I love to look at, you know, how things were. And I think we've all got that that drawer in, in some way. But it's it's so nice to have a record of, of that. And I think kind of thing translates so well on film because it feels so much more nostalgic and tangible and real. And there's this kind of, you can't necessarily identify exactly when it, when it was taken unless you know the place really well right. um and i think that's quite cool too uh, i grew up in Purirua and i spent a lot of time in cannons creek as a young person and i can see there it's much the same too you know the houses like it's insane six hundred or thousand dollars plus for a house in in cannons creek and and it's just like where are all these people going to go you know what's going to happen to this community that is really vibrant and it's a cool community you know, people say what they will about Porirua, but I, I love coming from there as a place. You know, I think it's there's something so so cool about about it is the, the expression that exists in that place. And yeah, and I can see that that changing and as you say, becoming all very cookie cutter and uniform and and it's, it's kind of sucks. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to document when it's all when it's all that way. I guess I'll have to. Yeah, find something else. Hopefully, we've still got a bit more time before. Right. Okay, so here's another Henri Cartier-Bresson term. Do you go look for the decisive moment in Slice of Life or it doesn't matter? I guess my way of doing things is to be very reactive. I'm not so planned about things. So I would say that, yeah, I probably do do that to an extent. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm anywhere on that 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 level, but but I think you know, like learning photography by primarily shooting street. There's all these things about that that you have no control over. You know, you have control over the position that you're standing in and maybe what the light conditions are doing on the day that you decide to go out. But beyond that, you don't know what's going to enter your frame, so you have to be quick. And sometimes you miss it, and you're gutted, and you know you can see that shot in your mind, and you're going, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe it! I stuffed that one. I wasn't I ready ready for that?" So. Yeah, there is this element of, of, I guess, still reactiveness. Even and even in the way that I have have shot weddings, I think I am mostly about reacting to what presents itself to me and and being able to see something coming, and just being constantly, you know, panning a space, looking for for the the shot to happen. So yeah, I would I'd say that's my style. I think I, I I have shot a bit of of landscape stuff, but my way of shooting landscape is you know based on what what is presented to me on the occasion I happen to be in that space I'm not one of those let's lay in a field for you know <laughs> five hours and, and wait till this exact thing happens I just I, I don't have the capacity in my personality to to be that kind of kind of shooter I guess and even when I do portrait work I I like 
to have a bit of a vision for what I'm going to get, but I also like to have the freedom to be in the moment and to see what comes to me rather than forcing a situation. So this is a question that I ask all my uh, guests at the end of the interview. Will you tell your younger self if you give any advice when you're starting out in photography, what would you advise someone or your younger self? I think I kind of already touched on it, but I think shoot like every day at every opportunity. And so, you know, if the camera that's available to you and is, you know, you've got constraints on cash and whatever, you, you shoot what you can get your hands on in the price range that you can afford and and you just shoot, shoot, shoot. And that's the beauty of digital in a way. Like it's incredible. You have an instant ability to see what you're getting um, from the way that you're using the camera as a tool. So you can really be quite experimental and, and just have a crack and shoot, shoot, shoot. The more that you shoot, the quicker you will be and, and also the better you'll be. The more you'll learn about about framing and, and about what you like and the more you'll establish an eye and a style that is unique to you. I think, you know, I love, I love I've got a massive collection of, of photo books. Probably every time, every time I get paid, I buy, buy another one. It's the thing that I allow myself to collect. But I think, and I love I love to look at other people's work, but and there is, I think, value in, in trying to to emulate other people that you admire their their work and you're drawn to them. But ultimately, you the only way you you establish your own style is by by going out and and shooting heaps. <laughs> so if it's something that you're passionate about and you care about, the more you do it, like the better you'll get, and the more you you'll get. That was a solid advice. I think you'll have to. Practice, practice, practice until it becomes muscle memory, I guess. Yeah. And even then, you know, I think that's the awesome thing about photography. There's never a point at which you go, cool, I've made it. Like, I know everything there is to know. Or There's no other images to be made. There's always images to be made. And there's always right. things to learn. And I think that's probably, for me, one of the things that, that is coolest about it. It's an unending <laughs> learning curve. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. So how can people reach you, Jess? Is a website that people can reach you on? What's the best way to see your work? So I have Instagram, which is at Jess Wawatai. And then I also have a website, which I've recently reworked. And it's almost, I'd say it's 99% film work at the moment. It's sort of still in development, but that's com. Yeah, like reach out. There's a form if you want to get in, get in touch with me. I'm always keen to, to collaborate with people and to share what I know. I think for me, the reason why I'm here doing what I'm doing is because other people have shared with me and I love the generosity that exists within the photography community, particularly amongst people that shoot film. But, but yeah, I mean, I owe the ability that I have today to the generosity of, of others and them taking time to, to teach me and show me things. So I'm always happy to extend that to other people. So yeah, drop me a DM on Instagram or click me a note through my website and I'm more than happy to, to connect. So yeah. That's great, Jess. Thanks for again, once again, uh, for coming on my podcast and wish you the very best in all your uh, projects that you have in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jess, for coming on the show. It was great to have you on this opening episode of Season 2. 
If you like this episode, please like, follow and subscribe to this podcast. I will be dropping a new episode every week. If you want to support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee. The link is right here. It's buymeacoffee.photocountry. Appreciate each one of you listening to this podcast. You really keep me going. Till the next episode, stay safe and keep clicking.